Uh, I wanted to share with you a card we received this week from uh, a young woman who received, I don't know who, who she received this from, but someone paid it forward for her. And so she took the time to write a card and send it to you. And I wanted to read it to you this morning. She said, Dear Church, actually in the front of the card it says, Kindness colors the world with happiness. And inside she wrote a personal note that said, Dear Church, I wanted to send this card of sincere gratitude for the subway card that was left on my windshield last week. That card could not have appeared at a better time. Not only financially, but personally as well. Thank you for reminding me that these are still that there are still wonderful people in the world and that God is still looking out for me. Even though I may not deserve it. With love, Lacey. So thank you, church, for the ways that you're paying it forward, the ways you're leaving cards and inviting people to be here and celebrate the birth of our Savior. Continue to do that. You've got four or five more days, so go out this afternoon, grab a bunch of those cards, and go out this afternoon and, the, and tomorrow and the next day, and invite as many people as you can by just sharing with them generously uh, acts of kindness, and, and uh, it's been a lot of fun for Kathy and I to do that. Also, last week we uh, celebrated our greatest gift offering. If you don't know what that is, if you're new at Eastside, let me explain briefly. Every year we do a special offering at this time of year called the greatest gift offering because Jesus is our greatest gift. God has already given us the greatest gift ever given. And so every year we celebrate Jesus' birthday. We always tell our kids, uh, you're not going to get the biggest gift. Jesus is going to get it because it's his birthday. And so every year we do this at Christmas time. And last week was our uh, greatest gift offering Sunday. But you can continue to do that all through the, the month this month. Uh, we'll finally give you a final total of what was given uh, probably after the first of the year because these gifts tend to come in after the, all, all month long. And in fact, Christmas Eve, the offering that is received on Christmas Eve, all of it will go into our greatest gift offering and all of it, 100% of what is given on Christmas Eve will go to our ministry and mission partners all over, in this community and around the world. Um, I, I, I won't tell you yet how much has come in, but I will tell you that last week, uh, when you add up tithes and offerings, your normal tithes and offerings, and you and then add if we added the, the amount that came in through greatest gift offering, it was by far the largest offering you've ever given in the last 22 years. So thank you for your generosity. <clears throat> And this year, 80% of what comes in will be given away, uh, all except for the Christmas Eve, 100% of what comes in on Christmas Eve, uh, to our ministry partners here locally and around the world. Last year, you gave away just through this offering. There was a lot of other dollars that were given uh, to our ministry partners last year. But just through this greatest gift offering last year, you gave away $140,000 to our ministry partners uh, here locally and around the world. So, so thank you for your generosity. And it's fun to do that and be a part of The Greatest Gift. We're in a new series called The Greatest Gift because it's the season we're in. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Marlon was here from Nicaragua, talked about the, we're beginning to talk about the attributes of our Savior, the various names and the way that his identity lives out in reality. It's very important to God, the names that, that he has and the names that he has given to the Savior, many of them in Scripture we read. And we understand that, that because when God gives us a name or when he gives himself a name or our Savior a name, it's meanings, it means something. It, it's important for us to understand what that is. So Pastor Marlon talked about 
Jesus being the Savior. Last week we talked about him being the Son of Man. He was human, but he was also God. We talked about that. That's the way he described himself. More than any other way, he describes himself as the Son of Man. This week we're going to talk about him as the Messiah or the Christ, which is really the same thing. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Acts chapter 17 and 18. And also, you might want to put a finger in Hebrews chapter 7. We'll get there in a little bit. As we look at, at Acts chapter 17, let me pick up the story so you know where we are and what's happening here. Paul has been traveling on his missionary journeys with Silas and Timothy, and they've also picked up Luke by now, who's recording this for us in the book of Acts. And they've traveled to Thessaloniki. We call it sometimes Thessalonica. There's a book written to the Thessalonians. That's where Paul is. Kathy and I had the privilege of being there about a few months ago, being in uh, Turkey and Greece with some of you. So we actually stood in the synagogue in Thessaloniki where Paul was teaching and also in Corinth and various other places where he, where he would teach and reason, it says, with the Jews in that area about who Jesus was. Let's pick it up in Acts 17, verse 2. According to Paul's custom... He went to them, meaning the Jewish people in the area, in the city there, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ, the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. Later on then in Acts chapter 18, verse 5, Paul has traveled by now to the city of Corinth, and it says, But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And later on, then in the same chapter, in verse 28, now we're reading a place where one of Paul's disciples, he was sort of an indirect disciple of Paul, his name was Apollos, who did a lot of teaching about who Jesus was, is now in Ephesus. And in verse 28, chapter 18 of Acts, it says, He powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now, why is it so important for us to understand the significance of this title? Why is it so important for us to, to understand that, that Jesus is the Christ? And maybe more relevant or more uh, special to us on a day-to-day -day basis, what does that mean for us? How does that practically live in our own personal, day-to-day, -day, real lives? Why is that so important and how can we identify and understand it and, and, and experience the Christ? That's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. Now, what you need to know is when you read about the Christ in the New Testament, it's coming, the New Testament's written originally in Greek. So that word, Christos, is the word, is the Greek word for the Christ. That's why you see it in the New Testament. Uh, you don't see the word Messiah necessarily, but you see the word Christ. It means the anointed one. In the Old Testament, we see the word Messiah. It also means the anointed one, but because it's, it's, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, therefore it's Messiah. In Hebrew, it act, it's, actually pronounced, uh, it's actually pronounced Moshiach. Uh, you want to say that with me? No, don't do that. Um, 
You might, you know, put something on the back of the person in front. Um, that's kind of, it's a guttural language. Uh, every morning when I get up, I, I, I sound like that. And Kathy thinks I'm in there coughing and hacking, and I'm actually just practicing my Hebrew. <clears throat> um, if, if you want to say Jesus' full name, it's Yeshua Yama Hama Mashiach. Or, you know, it's really more guttural than that. It's a Hebrew language. It's, it's written, the Messiah, the word Messiah or Mashiach is written 39 times in the Old Testament. And it means the same thing. It means the anointed one. So it's the same meaning. When you see Messiah or when you see the Christ, it's the same thing, just different languages. It means the anointed one. Now, why is that important? What does that mean? We see this in the Old Testament. We understand it from what God teaches us in the Old Testament, the way he, he demonstrates what Jesus is going to be like and what he's going to do and what he's going to provide to us. There are three groups of people that God made certain were going to be anointed for leadership in the Old Testament. The, the, the three groups were these, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. They were always supposed to be anointed and lead under the anointing and under the authority of God they were, they were going to lead as prophets, some would lead as priests, and some would lead as kings. And let me just look at a couple of passages of Scripture and see how this plays out. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 30, it says, God is speaking here, saying, You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, meaning set them apart, that they may minister to me, minister as priests, to who? It's right there. It's not a trick question. To who? To me. God, these priests minister to God, right? They minister on behalf of God's people, and they minister to God. Now, let me explain for a second so you'll not get lost. Aaron is the brother of Moses. Moses is the guy who led God's people out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. Aaron was then anointed as a priest... And all of his sons were anointed with oil and set apart to, be, to become what's called the Aaronic, Aaron, the family of Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood. That is the line, that's the genealogical line that Mary came out of, the mother of Jesus. You see the connection here? You see where this is going? Jesus comes from a long line of priests. Joseph... The earthly father of Jesus comes from the Davidic line, comes from the King David's line. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the priests were anointed to do ministry on behalf of the people, ministry to God on the people's behalf. Let's go on. First Kings verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 16. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Mahoalah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Now here we've already seen three examples where someone gets anointed as a prophet, someone gets anointed as a king, or a priest, someone gets anointed as a prophet and a king. So, so see what it means that Jesus is the anointed one. When we, when we know that Jesus is called Messiah, anointed one, or the Christ, anointed one, he is anointed for all three of these offices. He's anointed as our prophet, he is anointed as our priest, and he is anointed as our king. 
Let's look at a passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy that prophetically announces and pronounces that that's who Jesus is and that's, who, that's what he will come to fulfill. And still to this day is not done. He is still fulfilling these roles on our behalf. Still to this day. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. He says, and I will raise up, this is God speaking, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. Now we know he's talking about Jesus here because in Acts chapter 3, you want to write that in your notes, in Acts chapter 3, that passage of scripture refers directly to Deuteronomy 18.18. And notice what it says, I will put my words in his mouth. Remember when Jesus said, I don't ever say anything except what the Father has given me to say. That's the only thing I ever, that ever comes out of my mouth is what the Heavenly Father has placed there, and that's what I speak. I speak on His authority, His words that He's placed in my mouth. He's doing that to fulfill this prof- prophecy about who He is. Now let's look at Zechariah chapter 6, verse 13. In this passage of Scripture, we're going to see that Jesus is going to fulfill all three of these roles because He is the anointed one, the anointed one as prophet, priest, and king. Zechariah 6, 13 says, yes, it is he, capital H, meaning Jesus. This is a prophetic word about the Christ, the Messiah who will come, who will build the temple of the Lord. Now, it's not talking about an actual construction project here. It's talking about the establishment of the kingdom of God here on earth, and eventually we will be the temple of the Lord. You, as a, as a person who the Holy Spirit indwells are the temple of the Lord. He will build us. He will, he will, again, he capitalized, who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. That's a king. Thus he will be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace, which is a role of a prophet, will be between the two offices. So that's who Jesus is. He is our prophet our priest, and our king. It was prophesied, and when he was born, it came to pass. And still to this day, that's his role, and that's what he's still doing as he sits on the, on the throne at the right hand of the Father there on our behalf. So, let's, let's jump into the more practical matter. Point one here in your notes if you're following along. <clears throat> what does it mean, then, to know Jesus as my prophet? This is extremely important. It means that I can hear God. It means that we're not separated from God. We don't have a God that's far away, that's distant, that doesn't care about us, that's sort of remote and hoping we just figure it out on our own someday. We have a God who speaks to us. And if the prophet Jesus, the anointed one, made it possible for us to hear from God personally, we can hear him. It's an extremely significant. Think about how how important this is, friends. When we're having challenges in our marriages, we can go and talk to God about that. When we're having challenges with finances or our health or name a challenge, name an issue, name a problem. It doesn't matter what it is from the smallest to the biggest and everything in between. You can take everything to God and talk to him and he will talk to you about that. He wants to speak to us. He wants us to know him, and he wants us to know his voice. Um, 
By the way, it's, this, this is really good news. It's a lot better news than the way you're responding right now. This is really exciting news, right? That God wants to speak to us. It's amazing. We don't have to depend on anybody else to hear God for us. Look and see what Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 34 says. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will, what? All know me. They will all know me. They will all, that's great news. From the least to the greatest. You may think of yourself as the least, and you're not. But even if you think of yourself that way, God wants to speak to you. You may think of yourself as the greatest, and you're not. But even if you were, God wants to speak to you. Everything in between, God wants to speak to you. He does in a very personal way. From the least to the greatest, we can hear God. In John chapter 10, these are the words of Jesus. John chapter 10, 27, Jesus is speaking here, and he says, My sheep, that's us, by the way. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus is not talking here in, you know, in, in, in some metaphor. He's being specific, and he's being literal. My sheep hear my voice. If you're one of his sheep, you can hear his voice. Now, listen carefully. Listen, everybody look up here. We don't have a hearing problem. Nobody has a hearing problem when it comes to hearing God. And God doesn't have a speaking problem. The problem is many of us have a recognition problem. That's the problem. We have a recognition. God's speaking and we can hear. We just don't always recognize when he's speaking to us. Right? We live in a day uh, where there's lots of technology. We probably all in our purse or our pocket have a phone or some sort of device that's supposed to understand our voice, right? Anybody have an iPhone? You have Siri on your iPhone? Literally, uh, two days ago, I was driving, and I was, so I was speaking to Siri, and I said, um, I want to make a phone call. And so I said, uh, call uh, Schofield Hyundai, where I wanted to go get my oil changed in my truck. And Siri started calling a good friend of mine named Scott B. About. Um, and I, so I was saying, no, no, don't, I don't want to call, right? You know? So I'm trying to stop the call. Uh, not too long ago, Kathy and I had gone to lunch, and we were coming back to the office. And we were driving along, and I don't even remember now what I was wanting to ask Siri. But I said something like, um, you know, I, I, whatever it was, I asked the question, and, and Siri said, I'm sorry, I didn't understand your request. And so I said it again, and um, she still didn't understand me, and this time she said, please ask your question differently. And I said, I don't want to ask it differently. And she said, and it's no joke, this really happened. She said, now, now. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'll do this with you. And so I, you know, so I said, Siri, you're an idiot. And she said, no need to get testy. And she hung up on me. 
I'm now bantering with a phone who has a recognition problem. Can you understand what I'm saying right now? You see, you see, we don't have a hearing problem. We have a recognition problem. We need to learn to recognize God's voice when he's speaking to us. See, here's how this works. Kathy and I, my lovely bride here on the front row, we've been married for 33 years. And we dated for five years prior to that. So we've been together, uh, you know, we started when we were 10. Just because, you know, not, not really. So, so we've been together a long time. And so let me ask you if you believe this is true. A few days ago, uh, I got a phone call. And on the other end of the phone, somebody said, Hey, honey, what are you doing for lunch? And I said, Who is this and how'd you get this number? Is that really true? Did that really happen? No, it didn't happen. Because it was Kathy talking to me. I recognize her voice. When she calls, she didn't have to say, Dennis, this is Kathy. (laughs) Right? She just says, honey. And that's all she has to say. Got lunch plans? The reason I recognize her voice when she speaks to me is because we spend a lot of time together. And so when you spend a lot of time with God, you learn to recognize his voice. That's the way that works. And that's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to be strangers. He doesn't want us to not know what he's saying. He doesn't want us to be confused. God, it says in his word, is not the author of confusion. If you're confused, it's not from God, and it's not him talking to you. You know, it amazes me that I hear, I have conversations with people a lot where people will say, you know, I've got the devil sitting on my shoulder whispering in my ear. And so I'm thinking, so you're telling me you can understand the devil, but you can't understand God? You know what you need to do? You need to tell the devil to shut his lying mouth and get out of your life so you can hear what God has to say to you. We can hear God, and God is speaking. But we need to spend time with him and ask him to help us recognize his voice. Because we have a priest, I mean, we have a prophet. We have a prophet who is speaking the words of God into our hearts. He lives in us. That's who Jesus is. And that's, that's what he has come to do for us. Make it possible for us to hear God. Secondly, what does it mean to know that Jesus is my priest? It means that I can talk to God. It means that I have full access to God. I can walk boldly and confidently right up to his throne and say anything I want to say. And I can talk to him. Now we can have a conversation. Not only can I hear him, he can hear me, and he wants to hear me. You know, the priests in the days of Jesus and prior to that would all go to the the temple once a year, and they would offer sacrifice, a, a sacrifice of atonement, to pay for everything that was separating God's people from God. 
Jesus became that sacrifice. That happened once a year. And the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and, and approach the throne of God with confidence on behalf of all of the people. They would do daily sacrifices, morning and evening, for all of the sins and so the separation that happens on a daily basis. But annually, they would go and approach God for all of the people. Jesus has done that for all of us once and for all. Let's read where it says that. In Hebrews chapter 7, this would be a good one to memorize. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, it says, Who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and, for, and, uh, and then for the sins of the people? Because this, he, meaning Jesus, he did once for all. Those are the three, one of the, some of the three most important words in the entire Bible. Jesus did it once for all. Want to read that with me? He did this once for all. That word, that little word in Greek, that word all, you know what it means? It means all. All. And that means you. When he offered up himself. He went right to the throne room of God on our behalf. The only one who could. And made a sacrifice so that, which was himself, so that we, you and I, could have full access. We could approach God's throne with confidence. All, this also means that when he did that, he paid in full. When he said he paid it in full, you know what that means? That means when God looks at you and he looks at your account... Your account has no payments left. It's paid in full. Your access is now free. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is our priest. And he made it possible for us to go and talk to God about anything and everything, anytime, any way we want. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We just go to the throne and tell God what we want to tell him. And then listen to what God has to say to us. You know, this is so important and it changes our lives when we talk to God. When we hear him speak to us. A few years ago, Kathy was uh, having some time in prayer one day. She decided to, to take some time and have some time in prayer. And uh, God spoke some really important, powerful truth into her life in those moments. And I won't go into the whole story. Many of you know this story. God began to show her our neighbor's house. And we didn't really even know our neighbor's. And he began to reveal to Kathy that he wanted her to lead and launch a ministry for women who need help. Who need to know God. Who need to be rescued and restored. And she sensed he was saying, go talk to the neighbor. And she was like, yeah, right. Go tell a neighbor I don't even know that God wants to use your house. Anybody want to do that? So she didn't do it for a while 
and then began to sense a distance between her and God. And it wasn't because God was punishing her. He was just waiting. So she was frustrated about a month later and said, hey, God, you know, because she can talk, we can talk to God any way we want, right? And we should be respectful, but if we're frustrated, God's okay with that. Hey, God, what gives? <laughs> I feel distant from you. And he said, um, remember what I told you to do? So she contacted the neighbor on Facebook. It was safe. The neighbor had spun up a Facebook account, not because he was on Facebook normally, because his daughter was traveling in Europe. And he answered her within two hours and said, yeah, we need to get together. After Christmas, we got together and learned that God had been speaking to them also about wanting to do something with their house. And so now a few years later, there's a ministry called Hope Ranch for Women. And God has provided facilities and people and team and mentors and uh, ministering to young women and a few young men who are experiencing hope and help and healing and restoration and life. See what God wants to do when he speaks? He wants to give us life. And he wants us to be a conduit of his life and truth and grace so that his will is done and his kingdom comes and everything he has in mind will come to pass. Otherwise, we might miss it. Jesus is our prophet and he's our priest. And thirdly, what does it mean to know Jesus as my king? It means we get to walk with God. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, it says, These will wage war against the Lamb. It's talk, the Lamb is the Lamb of God, Jesus, it's talking about. And the Lamb will overcome them. Because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Jesus is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. The prophecy about Jesus is true. He has a kingdom that will never end. And He is King. Now, something I want you to understand about the enemy of Jesus. Jesus has an enemy. We all have an enemy. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the same enemy. He's called Satan. But I want you to understand something that's very important for us to understand. Because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, Satan is no peer. Satan is no counterpart to Jesus. Satan is a created being. Originally, Satan was called Lucifer. He was created at the same time as the archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Lucifer was the leader of worship in heaven, and when he decided to lead a mutiny against God because he wanted to eliminate God and be God, God said, you're not doing that. And he kicked him out of heaven along with a third of all the angels. We refer to him as Satan. But you need to understand that on the cross and through the resurrection, Jesus once and for all has defeated and eliminated the power of Satan. He has no power, he has no authority, he has no kingdom. He is not a peer or a counterpart of Jesus. He is defeated. Now, he is still the prince of this world, and while we're on this world, we'll still battle with Satan. But as long as we follow Jesus, and he is our Lord, and he is our king, Satan has no power or authority or any influence over us in any way, shape, or form. You don't have to fear Satan. He is defeated once and for all. 
See, the only way he can have any influence over us is to lie to us or cause fear. It's the only way. That's why we need to know the truth. The truth that sets us free. That's why we need to know the king of kings. That's why we need to be connected to our prophet and our priest and our king. I said earlier that Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, came from the line of David. You can find this story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. So you may want to write that down and look at this later. After King David became king of Israel, he was a good king. He was the second king of Israel. He followed the kingdom of Saul. Saul was not a good king. Saul had a son named Jonathan, and David and Jonathan were best friends. And David was anointed king of Israel long before Saul, Saul rather, not Saul, Saul, did I say Solomon? Long before Saul died. And David honored that kingdom. But the day that Saul and his son Jonathan were killed on a mountainside in the midst of a battle, the nanny who was taking care of Jonathan's son, who was named Mephibosheth, want to say that with me? Mephibosheth. Now say it three times real fast. No, I'm not. The day Saul and Jonathan were killed, the woman taking care of young five-year-old Mephibosheth knew what happens when a new king takes power. Traditionally, when a new king comes into power, everybody who was connected, related to, in any way, shape, or form, who could have any kind of claim to the throne was eliminated. David didn't do that necessarily, but she was afraid he would. So she took young five-year-old Mephibosheth And ran from his home and in the process of doing so fell down and broke his leg. And so he, they they didn't have the ability, medical advance to know how to repair his leg. So he grew up from that point on with a limp. He was called, he was known as the one who was lame. And he also lived in hiding. He lived in a remote place called Lodabar, which means desolate and dry lonely place and he lived there because he was afraid that David would discover he was still alive and he would be killed he grew up, David had been a king many years by the time you read this story and David asked the question of his court, he said is there anyone still alive that belongs to the house of Saul that I could show kindness to Now keep in mind, what we're seeing here is a type and shadow of the king of kings. This is what the king of kings is going to do. So David asked the question, anybody left from the house of Saul I could show kindness to? And they said, yeah, there's one. His name is Mephibosheth. David said, bring him to me. So in fear and trembling, they brought Mephibosheth to David. He thought, This will be my end and probably the end of all my children and all my family. But David looked at him, this broken, desperate, poor Mephibosheth and said, today I am going to restore to you all of the land that your father Jonathan owned and that your grandfather Saul owned. 
I'm going to restore all of that to you. And from this day forward, you, Mephibosheth, will live in my house and you'll be my son. And you will eat at the table of the king. You see, that's what the king of kings and lord of lords wants to say to you. No matter where you've grown up or how afraid you may have been of the king, no matter how broken you may be or how desperate you've been for hope, the king of kings, Jesus, looks at you and says, today, today, I want to restore you to my kingdom. And I want to replace what you've lost. I want to exchange what, you've, what you're losing for what I have. And I want you to eat at my table and live in my house forever. And you'll be my son. You'll be my daughter. And that's what it means, friends, for us to have a Messiah. The Christ. The anointed one. Who is our prophet. And is our priest. And he's our king. Pretty significant, that identity he has, isn't it? And the identity he gives to us as he adopts us and brings us into his home and makes us his own. So if you're here today and you are needing to hear from God, if you're here today and you've been wanting to say something to God and bring a problem or a challenge or a question or if you're here and you've felt for a long time like there's a great distance between you and God and you're living in some dry, desolate place. What you've heard today is that he wants to bring you into his house. He wants to restore you. He wants to provide for you and protect you and empower you. That's the truth. That's the truth of who Jesus is. And that's why he came. And that's what he's still doing. So if you're sensing God speaking to you, don't just sit there and do nothing. Respond. Receive what he has and respond to what he's saying to you. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Father, as we bow before you in this holy moment. Our prayer is your desire. Our prayer, God, is that you would speak to us, each one, and remind us of how true this is. Remind us, God, that you want to adopt us as your own to bring us out of the dryness and desolation and despair, to speak into our lives life and light and truth 
to reveal to us your will and your ways so that we're no longer trying to figure it out on our own, living in fear and doubt and despair. Lord, there are some here this morning, I think, that I sense that you want to speak to, you want to restore and heal. You want to invite them to be your child, your son, your daughter, to be a part of your household, to restore them. And so the prayer for all of us, God, as we hear that from you is, God, I want to be your child. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. That's my desire, too. I want to walk with you. I need to know you. And I need your, your grace and forgiveness to pour over me. And I want to be adopted by you. I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. I want to hear your voice and I want to speak and I want to know you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if that's your prayer this morning with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if that's your prayer for the first time, if you're praying that prayer and coming back to God, would you just slip your hand up right now and just say, that's me, that's me. Amen, praise God. Amen, that's me. God, you've seen our hands and more importantly, you've seen our hearts and you know each one of us by name. You know the identity you've given to us. And we need you, God, to continue to speak and adopt us and call us your own and restore us and redeem us. So I pray you'll do that, Lord, just in these next few minutes.